Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman on this edition of the show. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself going to break down Florida's 91-72 SEC opening win over Vanderbilt. We will also preview Florida's SEC home opener against LSU and nationally televised game 2 o'clock Saturday on CBS and the coaching debut of one Keontae Johnson. Hope you all have a happy new year. We recorded this on uh, New Year's Eve. Shake off the uh, Cotton Bowl defeat and get ready for what we hope will be a fun and successful uh, college basketball season for, for our Gators. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, Florida Basketball back after a really long, uh, let's say, difficult <laughs> three-week period. Yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was, hey, it was uh, microcosm 2020 right there where uh, the break kind of went by super fast and also kind of went by super slow at, at the same time. A uh, few games scheduled, a few games uh, we thought we were going to see that obviously didn't happen. Uh, and up until, man, tip off of this Vanderbilt game, there's still kind of part of me that was like, hey, maybe this game isn't going to happen just because that's what, uh, what happens these days. But man, I'm, uh, I'm very happy that uh, the game went on that it was uh, a really enjoyable watch, quite frankly. And, hey, it went a lot better than football. So so altogether, yeah. a, a, a good win on the basketball side last night. Yeah, no, uh, really good performance by Florida. Um, and, you know, I thought one that was keyed by a couple things, uh, but, but what was noticeable first was really a commitment to play inside out, get the ball inside to Colin Castleton. Yeah, that worked really well and, and kind of culminated in a, in a career night for him from the point standpoint, and he did super efficiently. And one thing I think is really awesome when you see a player like Castleton go for 23 points and uh, do it on 11 of 13 shooting, uh, this isn't to diminish anything that, that Castleton did, but I mean, it wasn't like he particularly dominated a matchup. It wasn't like he was getting the ball one-on-one in the post and just going to work, even though he did a couple of times. Uh, but when you see a player like that go 11 for 13, it's really the product of an offense that's really clicking. It's uh, it's a defense getting broken down, players having to move over to help, and then the ball getting dumped into Castleton, who finished. So to see him score so efficiently, have so many dunks on the inside, a uh, really good performance by him. And he had some great individual uh, possessions that, that ended up in him dunking the basketball. But it was also the result of the entire team looking really good offensively spacing the floor well and, and opening up lanes. So uh, definitely, hey, great night for him. That was awesome and, and showed a lot of people who were maybe still doubting a little bit what he could do. I uh, showed what kind of player he is, but at the same time, it was also uh, it was also an opportunity to, to really showcase just how good the offense was looking. Yeah, I thought, like, you know, Castleton sets, set the tone in two ways, but both of them you kind of touched on for me were that – it wasn't that he did anything particularly complicated. It's just that he really does play to his strengths. And one of the things you've talked about with him is that he can handle the ball. And so we saw that early with, uh, excuse me, as I yawn, as, as a lot of uh, writing after Florida's football debacle last night. But, <laughs> um, you know, we saw him put the ball on the floor and get an early dunk. 
And then the other thing we saw was, you know, even if it was just one dribble, sort of the commitment to receive, catch, evaluate, and, and maybe do one dribble as he kind of went for these simple finishes, a lot of using the glass uh, on his inside looks that weren't dunks. And I thought both of those things were good, and, and they both really play to his strength, his ability to bounce the ball and then attack. I was really happy to see that because that's something that I was really high on that I saw it uh, briefly in his, in his time at, at Michigan. Uh, it's definitely had me intrigued. It's something that the Gators haven't had in, in any of their centers recently. Uh, I mean, even, you know, Kerry Blackshear, while he did have some handling abilities, I just don't think he had the initial kind of burst that we saw on that play you're referring to last night where uh, what Vanderbilt was doing was they were, you know, icing a lot of those side ball screens and, and not letting Trey Mann get to the middle of the floor, uh, which was a really good decision and resulted in a few Trey Mann turnovers. Uh, but uh, what happens if you ice ball screens and you you send that ball handler going towards the sideline and and kind of trap him with your big man is that it, it leaves uh, it leaves the the guy who set the screen open and normally you think of that as an opportunity for a pick and pop scenario, uh, but in that in that case it was. Castleton catching the ball with some space in front of him uh, and putting the ball on the floor and, and dunking with authority. And Florida just hasn't had a player who's really capable of doing that. And it was a great way to counteract a, a ball screen defense that was looking pretty good for, for Vanderbilt. And, uh, and then another thing you mentioned was, yeah, his ability to, to be able to survey and make a pass. And uh, he had that moment where he caught the ball at the middle of the floor. Uh, he made himself a scoring threat by, by going towards the rim. And then he found Deruji cutting. So uh, really just, yeah, an, an all-around really good offensive performance from from Castleton, and um, I'll say a solid defensive performance as well for him too. Who had some great moments protecting the rim. So, uh, you know, that was a player that I, I really thought was uh, going to be a, a key piece for the Gators. Um, I know some people saw that he struggled to get on the floor at Michigan, and and thought, hey, this this player is probably not super ready for for the SEC. Uh, but yeah, this once again shows that I just don't know why he didn't get more minutes in Michigan because he really showed moments like this in brief stretches. He just, uh, you know, for whatever reason it was, didn't uh, chive well enough for, for Coach Howard at Michigan to get him on the floor. But man, happy, happy the Gators have him. Yeah, and look, I, I know a lot of people... I, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to mention, and I don't want to get too deep into the show, because I feel like sometimes if I don't say these things at the top, then they get lost somewhere in the middle of the show when people are waiting for us to preview the next game, Eric. Um, you know, I don't know how good Vanderbilt is. I, I, I think that they're probably one of the bottom tier teams in the league. But but anytime you win at Memorial Gym, um, I think that's a good thing. We all remember, you know, Vanderbilt pushing great Tennessee teams in that gymnasium. We all remember, or a lot of us are followed Florida basketball long enough to know Florida's had plenty of, of heartache, including under Mike White and Billy Donovan in Memorial Gym. So winning the conference opener in this sort of decisive fashion uh, after such a long layoff is really, really positive. Um, I also think that given how long Florida's layoff was and given that that was just game one without Keontae Johnson – uh, you kind of have to take things on a game-by-game basis. And I know people aren't going to want to hear that, and I'm not already making excuses for a possible lost LSU. Don't don't listen to this in that way at all, Eric. I just think, you know, I think people have to understand that this is very, very much going to be a learning process for this basketball team, at least for the first few weeks without Keontae. Uh, but the first test was was passed with flying colors. Well, this is the one thing that's really interesting about the Keontae Johnson situation. 
uh, he was unquestionably the team's best player. I don't think anyone would argue anything different. But the thing was, it's not like Florida featured him a ton offensively or defensively. It's not like Keontae Johnson was someone who uh, the Gators ran a play for every time down the floor. He was someone who really got a lot of his offense, a lot of his production, just in the regular flow of what Florida did. So when it came to him uh, not playing last night, it wasn't like, oh, what are they going to do? Because now this play, this play, and this play are are out of the are out of the playbook because Keontae Johnson's not playing. That's that's not really the case. Like there just there wasn't a lot that Florida did to to really feature him. I'm, I'm not saying that as a uh, you know as a, a negative statement. It's just the the fact of the matter is they 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 really just run their their regular motion type stuff and uh, and he's he thrives in it. But it's not like he is required for Florida to make that happen. So. Uh, that was one thing that I, I kind of appreciated was that Florida did just continue to do what they normally do. And it's, it, it worked pretty well against, against Vanderbilt. So, uh, and Hey man, Anthony Deruji playing um, definitely his best game as a Gator so far uh, was really good after he really struggled to start the season. And, uh, but uh, this is also a little bit of what, Hey, I think Florida might've been expecting going into the season. I mean, I'm someone who thought, Keontae Johnson was going to go pro after after last season. Um, I don't know if the coaching staff thought the same thing, but you know, for most of last season or you know going into the offseason, I I should say I didn't really expect this team to have Keontae Johnson because I thought he was going to be a pro and I thought this was going to be a pretty good team even um, without Keontae Johnson. And then when you know he announced he was coming back, I thought this team had a chance to be really good. Uh, but yeah, they're they're showing that they can spread the ball around. They have a couple guys who can make plays and uh, yeah. If, if, well, like you said, Neil, it's it's not like you know one game against Vanderbilt, who's not very good, tells you the whole story and tells you everything you need to know about what the rest of the season is going to look like. But they played the team in front of them and went about as as, as well as it could have, uh, at least from the offensive end, and uh, that's got to be encouraging. Yeah, I mean, it really was, and I don't. I thought it was encouraging on a night where Trey Mann didn't play particularly well. I mean, maybe, maybe you disagree with me. I, I did not think that Trey Mann played particularly well really the only guy that I thought played really at all that didn't play didn't play very very well um you know Florida played nine guys uh but they only played seven uh you know I guess they they really played eight about about 10 minutes Niles Lane had nine minutes so uh you know so so they had eight that played basically 10 minutes but you know already Playing nine guys shows you that Mike White trusts a lot of people on the team uh, at this point to play nine guys in a conference game. It also probably was somewhat out of necessity because they hadn't played in a while, but they got 22 points from their bench, including uh, 13 from from our dude Tyree Appleby. <laughs> yeah, Tyree Appleby stays uh, stays fun, stays a spark plug off the bench. And uh, what, was, uh, what was really good about Tyree Appleby's game, I thought, was that, uh, you know, he had one three. I think he shot three of them. So uh, that, that that's fine. But uh, he was able to get to the paint. And that's something that Florida just has really needed the last couple of seasons is a guy who can can get his own offense off the dribble. And uh, you know what, Neil, I, th- I thought this is pretty interesting. Again, I don't want to read too much into, uh, uh, you know, into a game against Vanderbilt. But but, you know, Noah Locke really, really struggled against Florida State, which has been the case. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that he's just not a very good player when it comes to the ball being in his hands and, and him having to make plays. And uh, against Vanderbilt, when 
there was, you know, there was never really, um, you know, gut check time. There was never really crunch time or clutch time. Uh, but uh, down in the second half, it was the the four starters minus Noah Locke and Tyree Appleby in that spot in what would be, you know, the quote unquote biggest minutes of the game when the game was, um, you know, getting within 10 points in, in the second half. And I, I'm starting to think that that Mike White is starting to really value having multiple ball handlers out there. And uh, I think that Appleby might be starting to uh, to sneak some of those minutes away from Noah Locke just because, uh, yeah, just in, in basketball, you need the ball to get moved. You need a guy on the, the second side of the floor to be able to 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 make a play. And, and for Noah Locke, that's just not a strength. And, and, and Appleby's bringing that. So I, I'm pretty interested moving forward uh, in the SEC is – um, what kind of role Noah Locke has if it kind of stays what it is? If if we start to see more of Tyree Appleby next to uh, next to Trey Mann, um, I'm really interested to see because yeah, there was just moments against Vanderbilt um, and especially against Florida State where um, man, if if Noah Locke gets the basketball offensively and he's not immediately shooting a, a an open jumper, uh, he starts to lose some value. Yeah, I feel like Noah at this point, like his best moments seem to be coming this season on penetration by one of his teammates and kick out looks where he catches and releases. Um, when Florida's in the flow of their offense, it seems like uh, at least Florida state and Va- and Vanderbilt were both content to just sort of let him try to play one-on-one basketball um, and challenge him to make plays. And, and we all know that Noah can't really do that. And I didn't mean to get too cheeky on Twitter yesterday, but when Noah made a, a late second half floater, I, you know, I kind of joked around that that was one of those moments where they, they allowed Noah to drive the lane just to see if he could make a play in the half court. And I was kind of thinking, Oh man, it's really going well for Florida when Noah's making that shot. Well, uh, something that's, uh, that's, I, I think people listening to this will find pretty interesting. Um, but in a game, Florida won by, what did they win by 19? Yeah, um, that starting lineup um, of uh, of Trey Mann, Noah Locke, Scotty Lewis, Anthony Jerugi, and Colin Castleton, they got outscored by nine last night. Um, wow. When you subbed out Noah Locke for for Tyree Appleby, um, they outscored the other team by seven. So, uh, and and I don't have the minutes in front of me. I looked up just before the uh, just before the podcast. But yeah, I, I bet that that's um, uh, yes, yeah, so that was in 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 ten minutes of or sorry, yeah. Yeah, in ten minutes of play, that starting uh, that starting lineup got outscored, you know, rather significantly from a not very good Vanderbilt team. And you make one change, you get Tyree Appleby in there for uh, for Noah Locke, and and things really changed. And um, the, I'm withholding writing this article because uh, we need some more sample size. Um, but uh, there are some on-off numbers for Noah Locke that look very very ugly to start the season, and I will say they look. Something, something very similar to that, where uh, lineups that feature him are not do, going particularly well. Uh, lineups where you just sub out Noah Locke for someone like Tyree Appleby are going significantly better. And whenever you can get like the starting lineup minus one player and add in one bench player, and you start to see drastically different results, that's where lineup data becomes very, very interesting. Um, and there are also some defensive metrics that are, uh, again, you look, you look up and down Florida's lineup that are fairly uh you know like oh these starters all have relatively the same the, the same numbers these bench players have the same amount of numbers and then you see one outlier and, and that's Noah Locke so I'm going to withhold um saying my findings so far I'm going to withhold writing that article um so far because again it's it's early in the season sample size is is, is small um but I will I will tell you that stat um 
yeah, rather, rather shockingly, Florida starters featuring featuring that lineup. Uh, they, they got beat by Vanderbilt last night. Uh, not very good team in a game that Florida won by 19. Yeah, no, and that's kind of, of one reason I, I didn't know it was that lopsided a differential, but I, I wanted to start with, or not start after Castleton, I wanted to go to Florida's bench before I got to my third part about the game because because I my third thought about the game because I really felt like, you know, Florida's bench made a significant difference and, and it was all guys that seemed very content to just sort of play their role, whether it was uh, Appleby being, you know, really an offensive fire plug and, and showing that I think he's probably the best passer on, on Florida's basketball team, although put an asterisk on that uh, thought, Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, or or Niles Lane just being willing to, to get out and guard, uh, whether it be pretty much one through four in nine minutes last night. It didn't really matter where. He just establishes good guarding position. Or, you know, Quez Glover with his usual two turnovers in four minutes and, and ridiculous step-back jump shot, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm only kind of kidding about that. Uh, Quest Glover part. But, yeah, just an excellent performance by the Florida bench as a whole. The other guy that I thought uh, really needs to be singled out on – on the podcast and I was like, am I going to give Eric Anthony Deruji or am I going to give Eric Scotty Lewis? And I've decided that Eric can, can rant about the type of basketball that Scotty Lewis is playing. But I was really impressed with, with Anthony, Anthony Deruji last night and his uh, first start as a Gator because he didn't go out and try to be Keontae Johnson, right? Like he wasn't like, I'm going to go out and, and rip out closeouts and, and just try to be Keontae. He, he went out and was Anthony DeRuji. He let his athleticism affect the game defensively, which it absolutely did. Uh, and then, you know, he took what the defense gave him on offense, which I thought was great after it seemed like he tried to force things uh, early in the season. Well, that's uh, that's the biggest thing for him is, I mean, he played 27 minutes and he had five field goal attempts and, and went to the line once versus these first couple of games where he came in just just itching to get a shot up, and oftentimes they were shots that were not ones he should be taking. So I, I really loved when he took an in, in rhythm corner three point shot and, and drilled it. Um, I thought it was pretty comical to see him try to dunk on everyone. Um, There's going to be some great moments. I, I I loved on the broadcast that you could hear every word that Mike White was saying. Um, it was actually I like I actually love that. Like that's going to be something that I genuinely miss whenever uh, whenever we get back to arenas and and crowd yeah. noise is like man i i love hearing the play call every time down the floor i love hearing scotty lewis calling stuff out on defense and and i loved mike white saying that is the worst no call i've ever seen in my life like i thought it i thought it was great but uh but uh yeah deruji um starting to look like the player that well uh, actually i will say he did look like the player last night that we kind of thought he would be when he came over from louisiana tech someone who is um going to be the best athlete on the floor most nights and uh what, I mean, one one thing that's definitely a difference between Daruji and, and Keontae, and that's, um, you know, in Daruji's favor, is Daruji just looks so long out there. And, and man, Keontae Johnson was someone who could really get on the offensive glass, and, and a lot of it was um, his ability to carve out space and out-jump people. Um, but Daruji is just going out of his area, outreaching guys and, and tapping balls out. And um, that was pretty pretty awesome to see. But, um, yeah, someone that I, I'm glad you brought up. Um, I, you know, I, I could be wrong here. I don't have every game in front of me, but I do think that's probably the best game I've seen from Scotty Lewis. Yeah, I agree. 
I think I think for him the ability to uh, to just be decisive in his decision making and um, and make the, make the right decisions, not drive into traffic uh, when there's not a play. There was uh, he, he caught the ball in rhythm for a three point shot. He took it and ended up going two for four. There was times where he recognized driving lanes uh, and took it for easy straight line drives and and showed really good body control on a couple of those finishes around around the hoop, which um, I wouldn't say has always been the case with him and. Uh, and one thing with with Lewis is he's always been a really good passer. I thought um, the thing is he's just not a great enough ball handler to put himself in positions where he can use that passing ability. Um, and again, playing under control, uh, he was we were able to see a little bit of that of that passing ability that turned into some really good assists. So uh, man, really stepped up. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just because hey, you could hear every word that was said on the floor last night, and, and uh-huh. Lewis is so vocal. Uh, but his leadership it was was so apparent. Um, yeah, very 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 happy with what I saw from him last night. Yeah, super impressed. I, and, you know, I thought, uh, actually thought the broadcast did a nice job of kind of isolating some of the things about his passing, which is why I said put an asterisk, Eric, because I really thought uh, he influenced the game as a passer last night. And part of it is what you said, just making smart decisions. You know, I thought one of the, a couple of his passes weren't even assists. They were like Florida was in transition and he just made a quick, decisive and safe pass to get the ball up the court. And, and continue the transition play. Uh, I thought early in the game, when Noah Locke kind of needed a rhythm three, it was a Lewis drive and really a, a gorgeous kick out uh, as the help came to avoid the charge and get the ball to lock. I think last year, you and I both would have been uh, texting each other about how Lewis got indecisive and drew a needless charging foul. Um, here, he didn't, and Locke buried the three in the corner where he's pretty much you know, as close to automatic as a collegiate shooter gets. Um, you know, just all these things with his passing were, were really terrific to see. And then, uh, you know, he kind of made, I know a lot of people have talked about uh, Daruji's, you know, run from behind block, which was beautiful. But, um, you know, I thought the best play of the night was Vanderbilt clawing to within nine in the second half and, and Florida committing a turnover. Uh, in transition, I forget if it was Glover or Appleby, Eric, but uh, Scotty Pippen comes back the other direction, and with his feet backpedaling in transition defense, Scotty Lewis just makes a get vertical block, uh, and then Florida heads the other way and scores, and it's a four-point swing that pretty much was all she wrote in the game. Yeah, and it was one of those, like you said, just get vertical blocks. It was get into position, put your arms straight up, and uh, don't commit a foul, and and you can test the shot really well. And that was great to see that he wasn't trying to jump and put his head on the rim and swat the ball into the third row or the negative third row or whatever you want to call it in Memorial Gym. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it was again, it was just it was a mature play, and and something you mentioned even earlier about his passing, uh, about him avoiding the charge. Uh, once again, that was another mature play. Um, um, I'm also, this is just off point, but man, that, uh, that Noah Locke charge was um, about as poor as a two-on-one has ever been ran in, oh, in so basketball, um, which also just showed once again the, the struggles that, uh, that you have sometimes with, uh, with Locke with the, with the ball in his hands. But, um, but yeah, Scotty Lewis. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, you, there was like a bunch of plays that you could have said were the best play of the game. Um, what you said was, was definitely correct because of the context of, of uh, the play he made. 
Um, but him blocking the three-point shot was also just uh, mm. miraculous. Um, the sound of the ball slapping against his hand once again in the empty gym. Um, just fantastic as I watched the game on uh, on uh, on my laptop with headphones in. Maybe it didn't read so as well if you were watching from your TV, but I was but I was watching with I was watching on my laptop with uh, yeah with my like studio headphones in, and it was just like came through so so crisp the sound of his hand slapping the ball. And uh, man, he's just he's got that uh, he's got that burst and that athleticism to make some of those plays um, that just yeah you're just not going to see from many players in college basketball and if he continues to make those while eliminating some of the uh the more careless mistakes that he's was maybe prone to as a freshman uh the Gators have a have a great leader on their hands yeah you know they do and and uh that was just it was just terrific to see him play so well and I thought look I mean they everybody makes such a you knew the play for Keontae story was going to be a big story but there's something about the makeup this group um, I mean, I know we're only five games in, uh, and we're going to learn a whole lot more about this basketball team Saturday, and we're about to dive into that. But there seems to be something about the makeup of this group where they really do care about each other. Uh, we saw it after the Keontae thing. It's the kind of thing that can certainly mobilize uh, and galvanize a team, and I think the Gators looked like a team that was just laser-focused uh, on playing together. Um last night and if they're going to play together like that uh, there might be games where some of the deficiencies of the team without Keontae Johnson uh, become problematic but they're they're going to be a tough out uh, on almost any evening and I thought you know that was really good to see last night especially when you think about some of the comments that some of the players made about the Florida State game and how like I saw Noah Locke and um, was it yeah it was man and both of them saying they don't even really remember the game. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, it seems like when this team remembers what's actually happening, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. Well, man, I was concerned against Vanderbilt, obviously coming off a break, obviously missing your best player. And, um, you know, coach candid Mike White, who is just um, the king of being <laughs> honest. Um, he's yeah, he said like, hey, we did not look very good in practice the other day. Like, as you would expect off a big break, it wasn't a shot at the players or anything like that. And, uh, right. you know, there's definitely been some moments in the past where, where coach White has been like, hey, we had some we had a rough practice the other day and then they play. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's um." <laughs> We could have seen that one coming because, again, Coach White is as candid as, as anyone in the country, uh, and you're going to get those honest sound bites that are often going to uh, precede poor performances. And and for the Gators to uh, to come out the way they did, uh, yeah, that shows shows a lot of maturity and shows a lot of of mental toughness. And uh, for them, to, it, you know, if they had a rough practice and or a rough series of practices and then and then played that way against Vanderbilt uh, I'm looking forward to when they get their rhythm and have some some really good practices because yeah if this is them after after some sloppy practices uh, they could be they could be really good yep hundred uh, percent so with that you know analysis kind of uh, in mind we move on to the challenge that that is coming on Saturday and that will be a, a pretty Pretty strong ass LSU team, Eric. It's not much more to it. They are a strong ass LSU team, as we've uh, we've come to uh, grown accustomed to. And 
in, in all seriousness, they really do look um, a lot like every other LSU team of the last couple of years. Uh, a team that's uh, really good offensively and a team that can't really stop anyone and a team that has uh, some really, you know, physical athletic front court players. And I think that Vanderbilt went, Vanderbilt went super well, but there's, there's still part of you that, that wonders what is this, what did the Gators look like exactly? Because, Vanderbilt is not great. Uh, well, here's your opportunity. Uh, Saturday game against against LSU. Uh, you've got your feet under you with the game against Vanderbilt. Uh, get a practice or two under your belts, and uh, let's let's see what you've got against uh, against uh, an LSU team that's that's looked pretty good so far this year. Yeah, and I think LSU fans are kind of wondering too. Um, they lost to St. Louis, who is pretty good, Eric. Um, but you know they. They also haven't really beaten anybody that's that's any good. Um, and their SEC opener was a home win over a Texas A&M team that, you know, trailed Tarleton for 35 minutes, right? So we're, we're, we're really talking about when the Aggies are, are – if Vanderbilt isn't the worst team in the SEC, A&M might be. So I think Will Wade and his team uh, have something to prove too. I'm sure that they're um, – how do you be diplomatic about it? I'm sure that from a basketball standpoint, they're very pleased to not have to deal with Keontae Johnson. <laughs> Based on uh, the history of Keontae versus Louisiana State University in basketball. Um, but it's an interesting LSU team. They, they are 106 in the country in, in Kim Pump defensive efficiency. I think they're a little better defensively than that this year. Well, I, I'm going to get into that with Eric. Although I'm with Eric that they're still not, you know, I don't even think they're average defensively. I just think that they're better than they were last year when they were basically a, a revolving Todd Grantham style gate. Um, and so this year, you know, they've added a couple of players who make them a little better on defense. Here's an interesting thing. I had two like interesting factoids that I wrote down to prep the LSU portion of the show. First one, uh, and I'll make them questions for Eric. How many players do you think LSU returns from last year's team? Oh my goodness. Um, I, uh, six. Okay. So the answer is four. <laughs> uh, even though they, they return two starters, but okay. in oh. some, they only return four players. They actually bring in eight new faces. So for those that thought Mike White's roster flip was extreme, uh, Will Wade has his own version of extreme makeover. Because I, I yeah, th this is pretty. This is pretty shameful. As I've already written my my LSU preview and and watched their game against St. Louis and Texas A&M. But I'm going to say Trenton Wadford is obviously there. Darius Days is obviously there. Javante Smart is obviously there. And I don't remember, but I think that Charles Manning, the senior, is in there. Um, but I was going to say like, oh, they've got to have like two other guys. But apparently they that that was my that was my guess was three confident, one not so confident. And I'm like, oh, I'm probably missing a couple. That's a uh, Wow. Eight new faces, uh, five freshmen, I'm sure. And I'm going to let Eric talk about the freshmen because he's good at that. Um, <laughs> Eric's good at a lot of things. But talking about the freshmen, I'm going to leave to him. The, the, fr the transfer that I think matters the most is Josh LeBlanc, who was an all-big use player at Georgetown. Um, transfer just got eligible, so he's only played three games. He's playing about 15 minutes per game. I think he makes them better defensively. Uh, he's really, really active. They can switch him, which they just don't have enough guys that they can switch with. 
which seems weird because you're always like, oh, LSU has so many athletes. But I just don't think that they – like, I'm not sure how switchable their type of athlete was. Like, they had a lot of, like, point-forward bigs, you know, in the Nas Reed, Trinan Watford type uh, mold. But those guys are, like, four or fives. Like, you're not really guarding a two or a three with either of them. Uh, Josh LeBlanc at 6'7", 230, he can do that. Uh, he is a very good rebounder. He is a really plus rim protector for somebody that's his size. Um, and, you know, he, he's added a steal per game uh, in the three that he's played. So I think he makes them a lot better on the defensive side of the ball. The guy I really think they want to get going is Charles Manning. He was their best three-point shooter the last two seasons. Uh, shot over 40% out there in his career is 0 for 5 from downtown um, thus far this season. So obviously look for him to hit 4 or 5 on Saturday. Yeah, it can only be, uh, can only be assumed. But uh, it, it's pretty interesting because LSU has had two straight years where they have been awesome offensively. And one thing that I thought was really interesting about them being super awesome offensively is the fact that they weren't good three-point shooting teams. Um, everyone just equates yeah. three-point shooting with offense. And I have often talked about how that's not the case. And LSU is just the perfect example. So two years ago, they were like in the 300s in terms of three-point attempts. And they were in like the 300s in three-point percentage. Um, last year, as I pull up Ken Palm, um, they were 257th in three-point attempts and 198th in three-point percentage. So that's not, uh, you know, that's below average. It's well below average in attempts and below average um, in efficiency. And then you look at this season and um, lo and behold, they're 68th in the country in three-point attempts and they're 71st in the country in three-point percentage. So mm. they have drastically changed the way that they have wanted to play offense from let's get the ball inside as much as possible and get a lot of shots around the rim to, uh, hey, we can hit threes. So let's let's space it out and, and, and do that. And uh, you, you look at uh, Darius Days, um, who is kind of that that stretch four that you really want to see in modern basketball to, to stretch out a front court player, but it's really been Javante smart uh, coming through at 47% from the three point line, um, which uh, is crazy because um, for those of you who have watched him for the last couple of years playing against the Gators, um, he was like a sub 30% three point shooter. I feel like I don't, I, I, I looks like, okay, I pulled up. He was 32% last year, but I, I just remember writing my, my preview articles every time they were, going to play the Gators and he was a sub 30% three point shooter at those times. So someone who hasn't shot the ball particularly well through his career, but um, so far 15 for 32, he's really hitting them. And, and uh, Darius days is shooting 40% um, on a good number of attempts. Um, but man, their offense uh, really revolves around um, the best player that you may not have heard of. Um, some people who have really, you know, really follow basketball or sec basketball will know his name, um, but it's cam Thomas. And he's a freshman who has been, as good, if not better, than every big name, one and done projected freshman in the country, um, but has not gotten the same amount of press. But yeah. man, he just scored an easy 32 points on Texas A&M. <laughs> He's averaging 24 um, a game. He's hitting 37% of his three-point attempts, and it's on like eight attempts per game. Um, he is awesome. Six foot four, which is like again totally the LSU mold. They don't really have a true point guard, and um, I, I guess you know it would be probably. 
Like, I guess you'd call Javante Smart the, the point guard on this team. Um, Trenton Wadford um, and kind of plays the, like, point center role. And Cam Thomas has the ball in his hands a lot. Um, but you wouldn't call Cam Thomas really a, a point guard. But, man, he absolutely fills it up. He is very difficult to contain on the dribble. And, uh, yeah, that's got uh, to be number one on Florida scouting report is, is how do you slow down Cameron Thomas. Yeah, and that's the, uh, the freshman from Oak Hill. That's one of the five freshmen that they brought in. Uh, two other freshmen that have played plus minutes are Mawani Wilkinson, another guy that I think makes them a little better defensively uh, because he's switchable, 6'5", 220-pound wing, kind of in the Niles Lane mold. Um, but it's a guy that's that's picking up a 1.3 steals per night for them. That's you know the thievery that kicks their transition offense going. They've always been a, like a high steals team, even though when they're not, even when they're not a real efficient defensive team. Will Wade's best team, Mawani Wilkinson, kind of a perfect LSU player. Uh, in that regard, and then another freshman that's playing a lot is Eric Gaines, who was a high four-star uh, out of Lithonia High School, a kid that they kept away from UGA and Georgia Tech. Um, always curious how they they managed to do that, but um, neither here nor there. Uh, maybe for another podcast. Anyway, Eric Gaines is playing about 14 minutes per night. Another guy that that uh, you know teams are daring him to shoot. He's shooting 18. Uh, percent That's a real number. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he's certainly a, a pretty good passer. Will Wade, by the way, told um, The Athletic that Javante Smart is the best point guard in the SEC. So if anybody thinks that they don't have a point guard, they should talk to Will Wade about that, who, who says that Javante is the best point guard in the Southeastern oh. Conference, Eric. And by the way... My, my apologies. Yeah, and by the way, I, I did want to... This was factoid number two that I was going to pose as a trivia question. There were two players in the Southeastern Conference last year, two, who were in the top five. And I know Eric loves assist-to-turnover ratio, so I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to use this. Who were top five in assist-to-turnover ratio and minutes played. Who were those players? Uh, it's the SEC last year. Last season. Um, <laughs> I, I, I say this with, with zero exaggeration. I am pretty sure I did not look at a single assist to turnover ratio stat last year. I don't like, I don't even think my eyes got. So, um, so uh, I'm going to say, you know, like, uh, so I, I mean, we're trending towards an LSU player. Uh, maybe Javante smarts the, the move here, but I'll say Skylar Mays. And then I will say, um, oh man, SEC last year, assist to turnover ratio. Um, uh, like Javon McCormick, maybe. Okay. So it's Andrew Nimhard. Oh, and Javante Smart. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Javante led the SEC in assisted turnover ratio, 2.1. Third in minutes played last year. Uh, Nimhard was second and fifth in those categories. Well, and and you, you know that I care not for assisted turnover ratio when I was unaware of a Florida Gator who uh, was one of the best. Yeah, players. you really do. And you also, <laughs> you also know what, what – uh, what Eric thinks of the the claim that will that will Wade makes that Javante is the best point guard in the SEC, um, when when it's you know maybe Will Wade just uses assist to turnover ratio to to make that pronouncement. In any event, Javante is shooting the three much better. Trinidad Watford actually leads the team in assists. They run a lot of that point forward stuff offense through them, uh, with you know where they. That's kind of like a, a like a weird looking horn set, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Throw it in the throw it in the high post and and run off it a little bit. Um, it's it's good stuff. And man, um, 
it's a shame that Will Wade um, does what he does off the court because in terms of coaching offensive basketball, I am a very large fan. I'm a big so fan. Um, I think he runs tremendous stuff, and and I feel like he has ran. Um, he it's it's not like hey here is the Will Wade style of offense. He's really kind of catered things to to the players he's had, whether it was, you know, playing super big with like Naz Reed and Cavell Bigby Williams, or it was Skylar Mays, or, or now it's running through Trenton Watford. Uh, they, he is a really good offensive mind. And uh, yeah, just uh, <laughs> wish I could find it easier to, uh, to appreciate that. Yeah, no. And I, look, I think, I think that they recruited Eric Gaines knowing that eventually, you know, they need a more traditional point guard, regardless of what Will Wade says in public about uh, Javante, who's, who's more of a combo guard that's content to play, point guard on this team because he's got such a pure scorer and cam thomas with him and he's got kind of your classic modern age big and trenton watford although i do wonder like what is the nba's analysis of trenton who stayed in school like is he a guy that needs to shoot better he shot 26 percent from beyond the arc last year there were stories in multiple big publications about how he's you know the classic oh he spent all summer in the gym working on threes and He's shooting 27.3, so I guess there's a 0.8% improvement this season. Um, you know, I don't think his volume is probably as high as he thought it would be, but some of that is probably related to Cam Thomas. Like, give us the the short NBA analysis of Trenton Watford, who, will, at a minimum, this is the best front court that, that Florida's going to have to deal with uh, this season so far. Yeah, the thing about Trenton Watford is I think I see him as more of like a poor man's Montrez Harrell like not someone that is going to really step out to the three-point line a, a ton, um, but it's kind of like, yeah, a little bit of a, a undersized five, but but brings that energy level. And um, I do think that, uh, you know, Trenton Watford has pretty good length that makes him a little bit bigger than even like someone like a, a Montrezl Harrell. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see him. And, and again, he handles the ball so much in the high post. If I yeah. was an NBA team, I see him as someone who catches the ball in the short roll and, and make makes plays out of that. So, I mean, in college, you see so much of what you said, like a horn set where um, to get the big, the, the ball in the middle of the floor, you, you know, set up with two guys at each elbow and you throw the ball into them. You don't really see that at the NBA. Um, you see them running screen and rolls and then passing it, up, you know, roughly in that area to the big man on the short roll who can then make a quick decision. So uh, I, I do like Trenton Watford. I could see him as being like the, the you know, the fourth big on an NBA team. Um yeah, like I mean, to to be quite honest, I see like Precious Achua going into the NBA and you know early returns like a week into the season. But Precious Achua looks like a you know a solid NBA player already for the Heat. I kind of see something um, similar for Trenton Watford, though I don't think he is anywhere near as good as as uh, as Precious Precious Achua. I kind of see him in that kind of role. Yeah, no, I I think that's a that's a pretty pretty good analysis of of Watford, and he he does have good front court. Uh, mates on this team. You mentioned Darius Days already. Uh, Sharif O'Neal uh, is is uh, obviously basketball royalty, uh, and and is back from his heart issues that that led him to transfer from UCLA, and is playing about 15 minutes a game. So they have three uh, pieces in the front court that they really trust uh, so far. Plus LeBlanc, who I really think is a guy that they can move around one to five if they want. They haven't played freshman center josh gray very much um but uh you know he's another guy that that was a high three-star player and and a pretty good recruit so 
a lot of front court depth. Uh, it's going to be challenging. I do think Florida will need a little bit more from from Omar Payne than they've gotten in this game. Yeah, Omar Payne is uh, he's been okay. I, I would say right. he had uh, one good moment um, uh, a couple games ago, but yeah, just generally speaking, uh, it's, uh, I think it's tough to tough to really uh, kind of project though. Like, where is his where is his next step? Because we know he can block shots. We know he can catch lobs. We saw him post up a little bit and 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 beat a switch um, with a nice left-handed hook shot that we loved on the podcast here. Um, that, that's great, but there's uh, there's still moments with him, you know, handling the ball that's that's rough, and especially as we look upon how good Florida's offense looked, where the ball went to Colin Castleton, who could survey and make a pass, put the ball in the floor a couple of times, then make a either finish on his own or, or make the, make an appropriate pass. Um, we just don't really see that from Omar Payne right now, and. Uh, Will we see that from him this season? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Does he try to go just full uh, massive defensive stopper? Maybe, but uh, oh man, he had some uh, he had some rough moments guarding the pick and roll against Vanderbilt, um, which is actually maybe something I want to talk about on this podcast. Um, I do not like the way that Florida is guarding pick and rolls at all, and yeah. I think that that could be a place where they are going to be vulnerable against LSU. Um, but man, Omar Payne had some tough moments guarding in the pick and roll, and uh, one thing that's just really apparent, like. I know it's like partially just like this is how big Colin Castleton is, but like it is like crazy when Colin Castleton, you see him like uh, like even uh, you know yesterday up against um, what's his name the uh, the center for for Vanderbilt the uh, the the bigger of the two Quinton Melora Brown when you saw Colin Castleton up against him and then you saw Omar Payne sub in for him it's like man Omar Payne is significantly shorter. I mean, I, I know Colin Castleton's listed at 6'11", and, and Omar Payne's listed at 6'10". Um, I think Omar Payne was listed at 6'9", as a recruit. Um, right. I think he might be closer to like 6'8". Um, when you see him next to Daruji, when you see him standing next to some of the guys like Scotty Lewis or Trey Mann in the 6'5 range, I think that Omar Payne might be more like 6'8", or something, which is, uh, uh, yeah, he, he just, he's not, he doesn't look like a massive, you know, enforcer, patrol the paint kind of guy and he's going to have some of those Kavarius Hayes moments as a as a you know rotate over from the weak side block shots guy uh but uh just like Kavarius Hayes there's also going to be some moments where just his lack of size means he's going to get blown through sometimes and and against a team like LSU where they've got some physical front court players um they, it'll be interesting to watch yeah let's talk about the pick and roll because I'm interested in that in that concept uh Florida will be entering the game ranked 11th nationally in two-point defense. So that makes you think that, you know, even if there's schematic issues, maybe Florida isn't necessarily giving up a lot of easy looks at the basket. They're also first in block percentage. Um, so so what troubles you about, you know, the pick and roll? Defense? Okay, so I, I have fundamental problems with the structure of how Florida is guarding pick and rolls. So for starters, they're having their, uh, the, the player that's guarding the ball handler is going over top of the screen, um, which I do like. You see that a lot in modern basketball to, uh, to take away the chance for a player to just sit behind a screen and, and pull up from three. Um, however, what I'm not a really big fan of is that instead of hedging, like we've seen from, from Florida the last couple of years, which didn't go great, um, they're having their, their big man who's guarding the screener sit at the level of the ball and try to angle off the ball handler to eliminate a drive into the, into the paint, which is getting closer to what I want Florida to do. And that's played drop pick and roll coverage, but they're having their big, um, stay at the level that the screen was set and try to angle off the ball handler to keep him from, from getting into the paint. So the problem there 
is that um, the roller is completely unchecked and it's the, the role of a weak side defender to slide over and, and tag that roller. So the, the problem with that is you have someone guarding the ball screen um, who's guarding the ball handler. He's chasing over top of the ball screen. So he's already at a little bit of a disadvantage. He is, uh, he's, if nothing else, a step or two behind the ball handler. Um, he, it's tough to stay glued to him. I, ideally, he'd be right in his hip pocket, but that's really tough to do functionally. Uh, and then you've got your, your, your player that's guarding the screener. He's kind of sitting at about the three-point line, sitting at about the angle that the, uh, that the screen was initially set. Um, and you've got him kind of waiting there, uh, making sure that that player doesn't, doesn't drive into the paint. Um, however, because the roller is completely unchecked, there needs to be a, a weak side player coming to tag that, that, that roller. So what we saw happen time after time after time after time again last night was um, the player who left... Uh, his his player would get a wide open three because when the ball handler would come off the screen, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a player sitting on his hip and he doesn't have the big man engaging him as if he were getting hedged. So he has a really easy unchecked pass to a wide open shooter. So that's kind of the problem I have with the way Florida is, is playing ball screen defense is that they're saying, hey, we are go- going to rely on having a weak side uh, off the ball player come in to tag the roller, but we're not going to apply enough pressure to the ball handler to make it a different pass. So, I mean, th- this was like warm up jumpers for Vanderbilt because there was a player coming off a screen. He didn't have the big within arm. Like, you know, the, the big was eight feet off of him. And the, uh, the guy that was guarding him trailing the ball screen was, was five feet behind him. So he just had, uh, he was completely unchecked, had wide, e- easy passes to wide open shooters. And, um, I just think it's structurally not a great way to play pick and roll defense. I think that if you're going to do something like that, where you have Florida going over the top of ball screens to trail ball handlers, you need to really drop your big man into the paint so that he can take away um, the roller a little bit and also take away that, that, uh, that ball handlers dribble penetration to an extent um, because the, the whole thing about playing this kind of go over the ball screen style of defense is that you're trying to go two for two is what they always call it in, in, in kind of coaching circles. You're trying to only have two defenders guarding, um, guarding the two offensive players in the pick and roll. But the way Florida is doing it right now is they're requiring a third player to come in and, and, and tag the roller, but they're making it so that it's an easy rudimentary pass to a wide open shooter. And that's, um, that's why you saw so many Vanderbilt wide open threes. I think I'm going to probably clip a couple of those and, and tweet it out after this podcast. Um, because yeah. I do think it is, I think there's a problem with it. I, I don't think that Florida did anything necessarily wrong. Um, it wasn't like like there and there were some times where um, Castleton got beat going around the edge. Um, that can't happen. There was a time where Omar Payne just took an awful, awful angle and got easily split because of it. Um, but then there were times where things went exactly as it was kind of supposed to. And Noah Locke went to tag the roller exactly like he was supposed to. But uh, but yeah, again, it was just an easy, easy pass to uh, to the wide open shooter. So um, I think Florida really needs to reevaluate the way that they're they're guarding ball screens. And, uh, you know, Vanderbilt is a team that went into the game um, in the 52nd percentile of pick and roll offense nationally. Um, they left the game in the 67th percentile um, in ball screen offense. They scored 25 points yeah. on 20 pick and roll possessions. Um, so just overall, just uh, not a great defensive uh, performance in the pick and roll. But I don't actually really blame any of the players. I, I think that, yeah, and maybe, hey, maybe they're not executing the plan. Maybe the big should be dropping more than they are. Maybe there's way too much help coming from the weak side. Um, but the way I see it is, is I think just structurally the, they're, they're kind of doing something I'm not a fan of. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it's also, 
a good way of dissecting the way numbers can be deceiving because a lot of people will think of the pick and roll as something that can generate easy shots at the basket, but it also uh, opens up passing lanes if, if it's not defended properly and, and that's happening. And, and like you said, Vanderbilt had a lot of clean jumpers. Florida ranks 242nd in three-point defense, which is kind of um, anathema to, to the history of, of Mike White's defensive philosophy, right? And it's really an interesting contrast tomorrow for a couple reasons. Like if you, it's a little early in the season, especially on Florida's end with only five games played to get too deep analytically, Eric. But it does fascinate me that like traditionally this game has been the dominant two point offense of LSU versus like Florida's weakness in preventing to the last couple of seasons this year, Florida's kind of the opposite of that, but so is LSU. Uh, and then LSU defensively, if they have a strength, it's running people off the three-point line, at least so far. Uh, they're 25th nationally in three-point percentage defense. Um, that's pretty good. Uh, but they are in the low 200s in Kimpom, uh, in and their Bartorvik number is terrible on uh, defensive field goal, uh, effective field goal percentage on twos. So normally you think of LSU as, hey, good at the rim, protect the rim, not so much this season. Uh, so it's kind of like the opposite. And then the other way it's the opposite is, is how about like Florida's possession length and tempo numbers being higher than LSU's? Who would have ever imagined that to be a thing? But it is this year so far. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, something I really love is that I, there's a, I, okay. So I actually used to say on this podcast that Bart Torvik was like the best analytics site that, uh, people don't maybe know as much about. Um, there's actually a new, a new contender, uh, not even a contender. I, I, there is a new site. Um, it's called Evan, um, Evan Mia. Um, it's, uh, it's a guy on Twitter. I know is Evan Mia Kawa, I think is his name. Um, he's a Baylor student and he has created, what is an incredible basketball site and it is totally free. Um, I would definitely, uh, definitely tell you to check that out. And one thing that I absolutely love, um, there's like 10 things that I absolutely love that he has that no one else does, uh, but he has true tempo. And what that does is it eliminates like, so for example, Ken Palm, everyone looks at Ken Palm data for pace. And that is essentially um, te- our possession length. Um, the thing is, is like you play against Florida State or you play against um, LSU, um, these teams that really attack the offensive glass and they get like five tip in opportunities back to back to back. And in the span of like 12 seconds, um, they've had five offensive possessions. So that can really skew uh, that can really skew a possession or um, or, for example, like, um, you know, late game scenarios where they're trying to foul right away. Well, that can really skew the uh, that can really skew numbers. So so there's true tempo that accounts for that on on Evan Mia's site. And uh, yeah, Florida is currently 76. So I think that's kind of right in the sweet spot of like, hey, they're not, you know, they're not pushing unnecessarily. They're not uh, they're not playing, you know, too scrambled. Yes, they had a couple of tough turnovers, but uh, it's a lot of just like, hey, you know, the other team gets a make. Well, you know, Trey Mann cuts back to the ball quick. He gets it. He turns his head up and he just pushes it enough to to make the defense have to run back and have to match up and and play out of that. And and I'm really comfortable with the pace that Florida's at. I think they're really comfortable with it. And uh, I, Hey, that's uh, that's gotta be credit to a team that obviously worked on it hard in the off season. Yeah. Like it. Um, So I'll have to check that site out too, by the way, that sounds, you know, I'm I'm always here for, for new uh, (laughs) analytic sites that 
that test the, the boundaries of my traditional hoop lens Ken Palm world. Um, so, so we're good. That sounds, that sounds great. Anyway, two o'clock CBS, um, home opener in SEC play. Obviously you got your COVID capacities, the bench debut, uh, of, uh, assistant coach Keontae Johnson. Um, you know, no word on whether uh, Will Wade will be intimidated by Keontae staring down the sideline at him. Um, you know, we will see, but, but I, you know, it should be a, a really solid test for Florida and we can see kind of what the Gators are all about. And obviously I think a chance to pick up a nice resume victory as well. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you look at, um, look at the Vegas odds, you look at the, what the analytics are saying, it should be probably a one or two possession game, which, um, you know, Florida has played LSU like 30 times over the last two years. And it always seems to be like relatively close going into those final minutes. And, uh, this could very well be the the case again, and it could be, hey, who who can uh, who can get a bucket? Is it Cam Thomas or is it Trey Mann? And and that's uh, that's going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, I think I think after after that game, we should have a bit of a better indication of of what this Florida team really is. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yep, going to be a lot of fun. Happy New Year, everybody. We are recording on New Year's Eve. We hope that. Uh... We are back discussing a Florida victory, a big five-game stretch here for the Gators. Um, and we'll be back to preview Florida and Alabama, which is what follows. And then uh, the Gators come back home next weekend and um, play Kentucky. So we will look forward to these games, including Saturday. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye, everybody.